Fantastic. Well, the, uh, the build up to Christmas is well and truly on us, isn't it? Um, there's only nine days to go until Christmas, which is pretty amazing. And my hope and my prayer this morning really is that while we're together, while we look to bring Jesus in focus, that we would capture afresh something of the wonder of Christmas. Because I, I don't know about you, but over the last couple of weeks as I've been looking kind of towards Christmas... I've not really had a sense, a growing sense of of kind of the wonder of Christmas. I've more had a growing sense of the pressure of Christmas. You know, the the pressure of kind of getting everything arranged and buying the presents and making sure no one's missed and that the house is ready for family to come and and stay and all the different kind of 101 things that you've got to do. Is anybody else kind of feeling the pressure of Christmas a little bit of different ways? With only nine days to go. And I think we, we kind of feel that pressure because we don't want to disappoint anyone. We feel we've got to match these expectations in order to create this kind of magic of Christmas. And we kind of have this idea that Christmas is some, look something like this. When the reality is that deep inside, when we think about Christmas, sometimes we feel more like this. Because it just feels like the to-do list just keeps on growing and growing and the expenses just keep on mounting up. All as we try and create the perfect Christmas. But let me, let me let you into a secret this morning. The perfect Christmas has already happened and nobody had to pay a penny for it. So this morning, let me encourage us for a moment to just try and set aside the pressures, to set aside the to-do lists and the wish lists and making sure everything's ticked off and done, and just to make time to bring the original perfect Christmas into focus, to bring Jesus in focus, and for us to be able to celebrate the wonder of Christmas today. And you know, one of the things that I think can sometimes make us feel like that's hard and, and can sometimes make it difficult and we sometimes wrestle with is all the other kind of different stuff that kind of surrounds Christmas and that seems to, to come with it in our culture and in our way of doing things. You know, with the, uh, the Christmas trees and the presents and the, the mince pies and Santa Claus and all, all the different stuff. And it can be hard sometimes as Christians as we sit there and go, well, what do I do with all of that? But you know... Santa Claus can actually help us bring Jesus into focus. More than you might think. Because you see, good old St. Nick was actually passionate about Jesus. He was passionate about keeping Jesus in focus and understanding who he really is. Because you see, St. Nick was really St. Nicholas of Myra, the bishop of a town in Turkey, around 300 AD. And he was from a wealthy family, and he chose to use his wealth to be able to to give it away, to bless other people and to help people in need. But while he was the bishop there, there was a time when they, um, they called all of the different kind of big church leaders together. It's called the Council of Nicaea in 325 AD. 
And you see, the problem was that while the church at that time, they generally agreed about a lot of the big stuff. They generally agreed about the fact that Jesus died. They agreed about his teaching. They agreed about his miracles. They agreed that he rose again. They agreed that because of Jesus, we could be forgiven and we could have new life. They agreed about all of that big stuff. But there was a big debate and discussion going on about who Jesus really is, essentially about the birth of Jesus. That's where there was some kind of tension. And some people were saying that Jesus was a human being just like us. That there was no different to us. But if that was the case, then he was just a good man who died and God brought back to life. And so what does his death really achieve? Other people were saying that really Jesus was just kind of God in disguise. That he wasn't really human at all. He was just kind of God with kind of with skin on, just walking around pretending. Fooling everybody. Fully God, but not human at all. And if that's the case, though, then how could Jesus be an example to us of how to live? How could Jesus represent us to God? And how could he die in our place? And then, when they were all gathered together, there was this one guy called Arius, and, and he argued a little bit differently. He argued that Jesus was fully human, but he wasn't quite fully God. He was more like this angelic being who, who kind of came down amongst us and did all of this different stuff. And the, the debate became so heated, and St. Nick, Santa Claus, was so passionate about it, so passionate about who Jesus was, so passionate about Emmanuel, God with us, fully God and fully human, that he got up and he walked across the room and he slapped Arius across the face. As a way of saying to him, wake up and see the wonder of Christmas. Let's keep Jesus in focus. You know, there is no way within our culture that you can avoid the commercialization of Christmas. But when you see Santa Claus this year, don't let it be a distraction for you Something that takes your eyes off of Jesus and pulls your focus away from Jesus. Or something that kind of winds you up and just leaves you feeling a little bit irritated and angry as to why all of this is going on in our world. Everyone's missing the point. Instead, let it be a reminder to you of what St. Nick was really passionate about. A reminder to you to keep Jesus in focus. A reminder to you of the wonder of Christmas. You know, when we look at the Christmas story, if there's one person who I think really kind of gets the wonder of Christmas, then it's Mary's relative, Elizabeth. Both Mary and Elizabeth are unexpectedly pregnant for very, very different reasons. Elizabeth um, is an elderly lady. She's in her, in her 80s. And so nobody expected her to be pregnant. Ladies in your, you know, your 60s, 70s, 80s, just try and imagine for a moment you kind of falling pregnant right now. And how you would feel, that would be a bit unexpected, wouldn't it? I imagine you'd have fairly mixed emotions going on. At the other end of the extreme, Mary is there. A teenage girl. Pregnant unexpectedly because she's a virgin. Because she's never had sexual intercourse with a man. And we read about when these two women meet in Luke 1 verses 39 to 45. This is what it says. It says, at that time, 
Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Do you get the sense of wonder in this passage? That Elizabeth is filled with this sense of wonder. But not only from Elizabeth, but you have this six-month-old fetus, an unborn John the Baptist, in Elizabeth's womb. And as Mary comes into the house, John leaps for joy. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? And this wasn't just a baby kicking like some of you might have experienced. It's amazing when you feel that, isn't it? But the word that Luke actually uses here is he writes that the baby in their womb exalted. You almost get this idea that as as the unborn Jesus arrives with Mary, that that John responds to it, and you almost get this kind of prenatal worship session going on in the womb as he exalts in the fact that Jesus is here. And as, as he does this, Elizabeth then is filled with the Holy Spirit. And she just begins to proclaim and to cry out with wonder at the mystery of what it is that's unfolding before her. And when Elizabeth cries out, it triggers something in Mary. And if you go on and read the next few verses, Mary bursts into song and starts worshipping God. Jesus comes into the room. He enters this scene as an unborn baby. No one's even met him yet. And you get this sense of it kicking off such joy and wonder. Wouldn't it be amazing if that was the experience that we had this Christmas? Not only as we gather together and we talk about it and we sing about it, but in our homes and with our families. That whatever Christmas might look like for us, whether it's a big thing or a small thing, whether we feel on our own or with with loads of people, that we would be bursting with joy and wonder because of what Christmas is really all about. And if that's ever going to happen, then we need to bring the birth of Jesus in focus. Because the source of the joy and the source of the wonder is Jesus. And you know, when it comes to bringing things into focus, we've got a couple of tools that we can use, haven't we? When it comes to wanting to see tiny things clearly, wanting to be able to catch the detail of something small that can be easily missed, we've got a microscope. And when it comes to seeing something which is, is big, but is, is far away and can seem distant from us, and it can be hard to kind of connect with, and to necessarily see the full beauty of, because it's so far away, we can use a telescope. And so to help us to try and catch hold of something of the wonder of Christmas, first I want us to try and take some time to look at the detail, to look at the small stuff through a microscope, to look at what's really going on in Mary's womb and how amazing it is. And then we'll pull out the telescope and we'll, we'll zoom out and look at the big picture 
of what's happening in this moment with God's eternal plan. So first, let's, let's take a look down, down the microscope to bring Jesus in focus as to what's going on in this moment and to just try and capture something of the wonder of Christmas. Here we've got a teenage girl, Mary, who's never had sexual intercourse. There's no male involvement, and yet a life is conceived in her womb. And this life is none other than God himself. And this is so shocking that the angel Gabriel has to come in advance to warn her that it's going to happen. And to explain to her what it's all about. And Mary asks him, how can this be when I am a virgin? And I think that's a really good question. You know, and it's a question that, that people still wrestle with today. How can Jesus really have been conceived in the kind of way that we read about in the Christian story? It doesn't make any sense. How can this be if Mary was a virgin? And the angel replies in these iconic words in Luke 1 verse 35. It says, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. The Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. This is the miracle and the mystery of Christmas in a nutshell. And I think the word overshadow is almost a way of saying you'll never understand this. Something which is overshadowed is, is, is kind of kept hidden a little bit. There's a mystery to it. But while it's a, it's a mystery, I think something like this is going on. The, the egg in Mary's womb is being fertilized by nothing less than the divine life of God. And what is now growing and forming inside of her, what is now growing and forming as she meets Elizabeth, is this is fetus there. That is not only Mary's son and fully human, like us, but is also eternally God's son. You see, part of the wonder of, of Christmas is that, that we find in Jesus that not only does God take on humanity as a grown man who can walk around and teach and do miracles and all of this kind of stuff, which kind of makes sense. I can almost get my head around that. There's a purpose to it. He can do something at that point. But the wonder of Christmas is that God enters into our human story as a helpless and vulnerable fetus. He enters into the messiness of what it means to be human, just like us as a fetus forming in his mother's womb. Isn't that incredible? If you just stop and think about that for a moment, doesn't it just blow your mind a little bit? We take it for granted and we, we feel so familiar with it, but just think about this. The almighty God, the one who flung stars into space, the one who holds the universe in his hands, chose to make himself vulnerable and helpless not just as a human being, which would be amazing, but as a fetus 
unable to do a thing, entirely reliant on its mom. He humbled himself and experienced what it's like to be human from the ground up. You know, in some ways, I find this even more amazing than the fact that Jesus was willing to die in our place. That he was first willing to give up the majesty of heaven, willing to give up the the power of Almighty God. As the Creator chose to become part of his creation. To become a helpless, vulnerable baby. You know, this means that God knows what it feels like to be human in, in every different season, in every different way. He knows what it feels like to learn and to grow, to feel hunger, to feel pain and tiredness, to feel lonely and rejected, to feel vulnerable, to, to face death in the face. This is our God. This is the wonder of Christmas. This is why Jesus is the great high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses. This is why Jesus is the the wonderful counselor who can guide us in our circumstances because he's been there. How amazing is it that the God that we worship, the one that we pray to, can empathize with us in our struggles because he's been there. amazing. I don't think we can really even fully get it. And yet at the same time, Jesus is Emmanuel. God with us. He is fully God. In Colossians 1, Paul writes um, that the fullness of God dwelt in him. That all of the fullness of God dwelt in Jesus. In this fetus. In this baby, in the child, in the man that he grew up to be. And this is an astonishing statement because in in Job 26 verse 14 we read that all of creation is but the fringe of God's works. A faint whisper of who God really is. And that means that everything that you can see around you, it means that, that the stars in the sky and the, the mountains in Switzerland and you know all of the different things that we see that impress us are but a the fringe, but a whisper, but a pale kind of reflection and idea of something of how glorious and mighty God is. The most impressive things that we see in this world are just a pale reflection of God. And yet, All the fullness of God dwelt in Jesus. That's why Elizabeth, who who begins to grasp something of what's going on, who gets the mystery, who's caught up in the wonder, says to Mary, why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And this is amazing. Think about it for a moment. Again, we just take these things for granted. But here's an 80-year-old woman saying to a teenage virgin, Why am I so favoured that you would come to me as the mother of my Lord? Because you have God within you. Elizabeth gets something of the wonder of Christmas. She gets something of the idea of Emmanuel, God with us. The fullness of God dwelling in the fullness of humanity. 
You know, as we read on in the Christmas story, what is it that that causes the, the shepherds to run back into their fields singing with songs of joy and sharing with everybody they meet about this baby? What is it that, that causes the, the wise men to, to get on their faces and to bow down and worship? It was this simple fact that in Jesus they had seen firsthand that God is not a distant, uninvolved far off kind of God out there. That God is not someone who just kind of watches over us from heaven as this judge in the sky. But that God is now with us. The creator of the universe stripped himself of his glory and became like us in the form of a baby. In Jesus, we discover that God is not distant, but he wants to be known. He wants to be known. He's not happy being apart from you. In Jesus, we discover that God wants to be with us. And he is willing to leave aside the majesty of heaven and leave aside the the glory and the power in order to make that possible. In Jesus, we discover that God chose to join our human story in order to transform it from the inside out. And this means that when we sing these carols and when we talk about the idea of of Emmanuel, God with us, these aren't just kind of nice words and things that we sing and things that we say. It means something. And it changes everything. For those of you who have accepted Jesus as your Lord, Because of the wonder of Christmas, we can know Emmanuel. We can know God with us in every moment. He will never leave you. He is always with you. His spirit dwells inside of you. When you are lost, he is with you as your guide. When you are alone, He is with you as your companion. When you are hurting, he is with you as your comforter. When you are afraid, he is with you as your peace. When you are sick, he is with you as your healer. When you are weak, he is with you as your strength. And when you feel lost in your sin, he is with you as your saviour. This means that when we look ahead, not only to what we're going through now, not only to Christmas, but when we look ahead to 2019 and and all of the challenges that might come, that whatever we face, we can have confidence because God is with us. That because of this very union of God and man in Jesus, that Jesus is now with us by his spirit and he is not going away. And there almost certainly will be challenges that we face. We might not know what they're going to be yet, but there will be challenges that we face in 2019. Challenges politically and nationally. Challenges personally. And we might not know what they are yet. But we do have to face the question of how it is that we're going to respond to them. 
And the way that we approach Christmas, I think, kind of sums it all up. We can either try and hide from the challenges and distract ourselves from them with, with mince pies and Christmas films and presents. Or we can draw close to Emmanuel. God with us. And face the challenges with confidence. And this is the wonder of Christmas through a microscope. As we look at the detail of what's going on, that God is with us, drawing close to us, even in the midst of the mess, even in the midst of our brokenness, making himself nothing in order to be able to make himself known and to give us hope. And then as we we kind of zoom out, And we try and look at the big picture and take in more of of, of what's going on and bring Jesus in focus through the telescope. We discover then what's happening in Mary's womb is not just this, this moment time, not just this time of God drawing close to us, but actually it's the key moment in the history of the world. That actually the wonder of Christmas is the moment that is the hinge of world history. You know, however else you might understand world history, however else you might view it, the crux of it all is the intervention of God in the human story. The crux of it all is the birth of Jesus. And it's only when we bring into focus the birth of Jesus, only when we bring into focus this moment that we began to to feel the wonder of Christmas again and realize how big this is. You know how, as you look at Elizabeth, again, I I think she grasps something of the wonder of this. She grasps something of what's going on here because she says also to to Mary, blessed is the fruit of your womb. And that sounds like a bit of an odd thing to say and that doesn't kind of make a lot of sense to us and just like, oh, well, she's, you know, she's just kind of saying a blessing over the baby. But actually, I think to Jewish ears, this phrase is significant. You see, the nation of Israel held on to this hope that one day a child was going to come. One day a child was going to be born that God was going to to send as a saviour. And this hope went right back to to Genesis chapter 3, right back to the creation story. Just after human beings have rebelled against God, God kind of, he speaks a promise as he addresses the serpent that has tempted them. And he says in Genesis 3 verse 15, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And for the rest of the Old Testament story, the question is being asked, who is he? Who is he who will be the offspring of a woman? Who is he who will be the fruit of a woman's womb who is going to come into the world and is going to be struck by the poison of the serpent, being going to be struck by evil, and yet is going to crush its head and have the victory? Who is he? And throughout Israel's history, they hold on to this, this kind of hope of this child who is going to come. And you see it again and again through, through the prophets and the different speak, people who speak of this hope that they have that this child is going to come. And it's going to come into human history through the nation of Israel and bring hope to all humanity. And here is Elizabeth. 
She's filled with the Holy Spirit and she says, blessed is the fruit of your womb. It's as if she's saying, this is not just another baby. Here is the arrival of the hope of the world. The one who has been promised since creation. Here is the hinge moment. The one we've been longing for. This is the arrival of the saviour. The snake crusher. The one who will destroy evil. He has come. Everything comes down to this moment. This moment when God intervenes personally in the human story. In order to turn it around. The whole reason that we can gather here and we can have hope today is because God entered into our world in Jesus. And if you notice as you go through the Christmas story, it's accompanied by an extraordinary amount of angels, isn't it? They seem to pop up everywhere. And it's because this is the key moment. It's because this is the hinge moment in all of world history. Because you see, in the Bible, angels, they, they pop up when something big is happening. They are the messengers of big news. They know what this moment is all about. That's why we see angels popping up everywhere here. They know that this is the moment that is the game changer. This is the moment that's going to change everything. And it's not just angels, though, is it? If you read the Christmas story carefully and you don't just kind of have, kind of filter it through the sanitized version that we get fed from when we're kind of yay high, actually, you begin to realize that there is darkness around Christmas as well. You know, I, uh, I remember when I was 10. And when I was 10, um, in the school kind of Christmas play, I got the role of Herod. Um, and I, I remember it very, very well. Um, because before the real performance, what we would always do is, um, they did it each year, is they would have the infant school come up to, to us in the junior school, and we'd almost do the dress rehearsal as a performance for the infant school. And we had a stage a bit like this one, but it also had like a catwalk coming out from it down the middle. And I remember my opening scene as I came on the stage as King Herod, marching down the catwalk. And I started to, to vent my anger at the, this Jesus who was going to be born. And, and you know, kind of to, to shout about how I was going to destroy him. And we were going to find him and we were going to kill him. And then I, I kind of looked at the front row. And this kind of row of children burst into tears. And the teachers had to come and kind of look after them and... You know, it's not kind of the nativity scene that you, you imagine, is it? But actually, do you know, it's not a bad response. Because some of what we see going on with the Christmas story is pretty horrific. In the midst of the joy and the hope, there is darkness. And it's like hell is desperately trying to stop heaven intervening in our story. If you want to get a glimpse of the kind of thing that I think was probably going on at Christmas in this moment, in the spiritual realm, this kind of stuff that we don't see, this moment that we celebrate at Christmas, maybe have a read of Revelation 12, give you a different kind of picture of it. We read there about a woman giving birth to a boy, Jesus. And standing over the nativity scene is a seven-headed red dragon. 
And this dragon stands there and we read that he stands there with the intent to devour the child the moment it is born. To destroy the child before he has the chance to become a saviour. We need to understand the scale of what's going on in this moment. All of hell knows exactly what's happening. That the victory of God in humanity, if this moment succeeds, is unstoppable. Because from this moment on, God himself is with us. God has got himself into the story of humanity in Jesus. This is the moment that changes everything. And sometimes we need to be reminded what it is that we're really celebrating because the commercialized kind of Christmas that we're surrounded by, do you know what? It has nothing to say to the darkness. It just calls us to kind of distract ourselves with things that are meaningless. That's why people find Christmas so hard sometimes because there's just this picture which just painted out before us of what it should be like and doesn't do any good for them in the midst of the darkness and the loneliness and the hurt that they're feeling. But the wonder of Christmas is that it has everything to say to the darkness. Christmas proclaims the victory of God as he intervenes in our story. Now I'm well aware that that for some of you Christmas won't be an easy time this year. For the wonder of Christmas is that we can face the darkness and we can face the challenges with hope. Some of you will know Andy Ollerton. He was, used to be one of the Light and Life pastors down in, in Penzance. And I heard him share a story recently of a guy he knew who was an alcoholic and who hated Christmas. For him, Christmas just reinforced all of the loneliness and the rejection and the pain and the brokenness of his family. And so he decided, one more Christmas, and then I'm going to kill myself. That was his decision. In January, I'm going to end it. And then on his way to the off-license, he heard some singing. And he just kind of felt drawn towards this, this singing. And so he drifted towards it, and he ended up sat at the back of a Christmas service. And he sat there, and it was like the songs, and the words of the songs were were speaking to him. And then someone read a scripture, and there was a phrase in it that stuck in his mind and just seemed to play over and over on repeat. He couldn't stop thinking about it, and it was this. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness cannot put it out. And he left the building and this phrase just kept playing through his mind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot put it out. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot put it out. And this moment transformed everything for him. He found new hope. And meaning in life, in Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, the light that shines in the darkness and cannot be put out.
Now the wonder of Christmas is that we can have hope in the midst of darkness. It's not that there won't be any darkness, but that we can have hope in the midst of darkness. We know that God is with us. And if he is willing to leave the majesty of heaven in order to draw close to us, then there is nothing that we are going through, nothing that we have done, nothing which is too much for him to overcome. Paul said it this way at the end of Romans 8. He asked the question, said, If all of this is true, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble? No. Shall hardship? No. How about persecution? No. Famine? No. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Nothing can separate you. Not your fears, not your doubts, not your insecurities, not your theological questions as you wrestle with things and all the different things that you're unsure about, not your brokenness, not your dreams that have, have failed, not sickness, not your mistakes, not a divorce, not what someone else has done to you. Nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Because he is Emmanuel. God with us. God with you. And is this Christmas as we, we look to bring Jesus in focus. To look through the microscope at the wonder of, of the detail of what's going on in this moment. And the mystery of the birth of Jesus. And to look through the telescope of the wonder of the, what's going on in the big scale, the big picture, the kind of eternal plan of God being outworked, that we could have hope, that we could have life in him. So we bring Jesus in focus and celebrate Christmas this year. My hope and my prayer is, is that you will know Jesus as Emmanuel, God with you. That God will reveal to you something more of his love for you. Something more of his goodness. Something more of his heart and his character. And that as we celebrate how God draws near to us, that our hearts would in somehow be, be stirred to want to draw near to him too. And to love him more. That each of us would grow in our love for Jesus. Knowing that he is not a God who is far off and distant but that he loves you to such an extent that he was willing to give up the majesty of heaven so that he could make himself known to you. So that you could be forgiven. So that you could have relationship with him. Not only now, but for all eternity. So let's not fear Santa Claus. Let's be like St. Nick. Not overweight from eating too many mince pies, but passionate, passionate about Jesus. Passionate about keeping him in focus. I just want to give a chance for us to respond to Jesus this morning as we finish. You know, we, 
we celebrate, as I've been talking about with Christmas, that God draws near to us. But as he draws near to us, he invites us to respond. He invites us to accept him and to receive him and to welcome him into our lives. And it may be that you have never responded to to Jesus in that kind of a way before. Or it may be simply that recently you've been feeling like you're distant from, from God. Or maybe you feel like you've just been caught up in the distractions of life. And you've just lost your focus on Jesus. And you want that to change today. If that's you, if 